Hello and welcome to the Rambling Runner Podcast. I'm your host, Matt Chittam, and this is the podcast for all the dedicated amateur runners out there who are working hard to get better while balancing running with the rest of their lives. And today's show is the CIM live show experience. That's right. This past weekend, I had the just unbelievable privilege to be working the California International Marathon Expo. And these four guests were recorded on Saturday. So this was absolutely so much fun. We have Allison Mariella Desir. We have Mike Coe, otherwise known as Kafuzi. We have Jess Mena. And we have Ashley Paulson, just four amazing people. If you want to hear my conversations with Peter Bromka and Stephanie Flippin, you can find those over on Relay and so much more content as well. Actually, tomorrow we're going to be posting the uh, recording of the latest book club, which was running with the Buffaloes. We had Kara Goucher, Lindsay Hine, Carolyn Sue, and Adam Goucher on with that one. That was absolutely tremendous. You can head over to patreon.com forward slash Relay. For all of the goodness, if you want to give that a try, you can buy uh, basically nine. So you do nine dollars a month if you go monthly, and you can just kind of decide month to month whether you want to stick around, or you can buy a yearly subscription, save ten percent off your total. Either way, it works for us. Just go give it a try. I know that you will enjoy it. Again, you will hear the Peter Bromka and Stephanie Flippin. Uh, live shows over on Relay, but you're going to get these four over here on the Rambling Runner podcast. Thank you so much for listening, and let's get into it. All right, plus good afternoon, everyone, and welcome. Uh, This is the CIM Expo, kind of winding things down as we get ready for the big race day tomorrow. Excited to see all of you, those of you that are running at the start line. I'll be your start line announcer, and then I'm going to race on down to the Capitol and greet you at the finish line. It's going to be a lot of fun. But uh, right now, we are very excited. This is actually day two. Matt Chittam, who is the podcast, um, he is the guy with the Rambling Runner podcast. He is the host. And uh, he has got six guests that he is bringing your way today. He did four yesterday. Doing six today. These are being recorded. But the nice thing about being here is that you guys are live. So it's going to be live. And without further ado, let's give it up for Matt Chittam. Hello, everybody, and thank you for coming to the California International Marathon 2022 edition. Actually, last year at this time was the first time I ever saw this woman in person. I've seen her many times on social media and basically every publication out there from Runner's World to the New York Times. But I think it was around mile 13. I saw you hanging out. You were cheering. You were doing your thing. And I saw him, and it didn't click exactly. At the minute he said my name, a few steps later, I was like, oh, my God, hi. It was, it was too late. <laughs> All right, so we're going to get into this. As anyone who's here for the first time, you can see over there on the TV screen, we have six guests, each 20 minutes, back to back to back. We are so excited for all the guests today. Uh, but right now, we're talking to Allison, Mariella, Desir, and for so many reasons, but most importantly right now, she's on a book tour, the book right in front of us, Running While Black. First of all, how's the book tour going? It has been a wild time. So I've been traveling for the past six weeks. I've been everywhere, but I also feel really lucky to be able to do this. I know lots of people who had books come out during the pandemic. Um, Being safe enough to travel and engage with folks, you write a book so you can talk to people and meet people, and it's been an amazing experience. And you had... You had a part of your book tour was just this morning, correct? Uh, Yeah, so I was at Fleet Feet Sacramento. I hosted a shakeout run and a talk with Black Girls Run. And I'm actually here in the expo selling my book, so come check me out later. Right. 
not right now. Stay for the, yeah, stay no, for the show. <laughs> In about 19 minutes, right back there, uh, you can get this book right here as well. Now, um, you've been playing a major role mm -hmm. in different elements of the running community for a long time, mm -hmm. right? So we're not going to get into your full background because we only have 20 minutes mm -hmm. and that would take in itself 20 minutes to do. <laughs> With that said, uh, can you talk about the genesis of this book and yeah. uh, what led into the op-ed that kind of started this cycle? Absolutely. So um, he's talking about an op-ed that I wrote in May of 2020. This was after the murder of Ahmad Arbery. And um, that murder, he was murdered in February, but many people didn't hear about it until months later. As we all know, um, the people who killed him weren't actually arrested for several weeks, months after. My son at the time, who's here making lots of noise and movement, um, was nine months at the time. And I started reflecting on how Ahmad could be my son. And thinking about my own experience, how running had saved my life and transformed my life, but running always came with additional set of risks and negotiation around what I would be wearing, where I would be going, what time of day, who would think that something was bad that I was doing. And I put together this op-ed um, that was about the racial divide in running, um, the fact that there are white groups and there are black groups and rarely is there overlap, and that the running industry, so the folks who make money in running, are mostly white men. And so as long as the power, the access, the resources are concentrated in just those hands, the running industry will never be a place for everybody. And after writing that op-ed, it went viral. White folks were, um, felt that it was very eye-opening. They had never heard this perspective, although I certainly am not the only person with this perspective. And black and brown folks were like, thank you for putting this into words. And I knew then that I had to write this book because there was no such book that told about the joy and the transformation of running, but also uh, the fear and the lack of representation in running. And with the fact that there was that that book didn't exist yet, mm. what was it like for you creating something out of whole cloth that you didn't couldn't exactly like look at other work and kind mm. of say, all right, this is how I can frame it, or I can see it as something between this and that, mm -hmm. or this was just a whole new experience? Yeah. So I have to say that I had a lot of really great folks around me, including um, again my partner, who's live streaming, hey, um, Dr. Sarah Lesko right here, um, and then Lauren Fleshman. So very early on as I, as I was writing my book proposal, Lauren, Flesh, Lauren Fleshman was working on hers as well. And um, writing can be a really solitary, painful thing, much like running, but it's better when you have community. And so having the opportunity to share ideas, share concepts, and luckily in my case, having a really awesome editor and agent who really believed in the book and wanted to see it come to life. Because man, I don't know which is harder between a marathon and writing a book. They're like same pain level. <laughs> and I was listening to your podcast with my friend Tommy Runs, mm. who's a great guy and you guys really obviously hit it off very well. Yeah. And how you described the process of what came next mm. rang so true to me. It's just like different jobs that I had where it was like, be careful what you suggest because yes. they're going to put you in charge of it. <laughs> and that's exactly what seemingly happened to you. You write this very impactful op-ed and everyone's like, you know what? That's a great point, Allison. Now you're going to be in charge of changing everything. <laughs> exactly. So what was that process like of going so quickly from, hey, I'm frustrated, mm. I feel helpless, disoriented, anger to like, okay, 
now let's make some change. What was that like? Yeah, so, uh, you know, specifically, I'm thinking of the Running Industry Diversity Coalition, which was a coalition that came about during the pandemic period and after the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and recognizing that the running industry, while I'll say specifically long distance running, while they had done a lot to address um, getting people of all paces and all sizes involved, maybe not enough yet, but they had addressed that. They had never addressed the lack of racial equity. The fact that in long distance running, there are very few black and brown people running. People always say, but aren't the winners of marathons black? Yes, but they are Africa, African. They come from a different country, right, with a different culture. Um, so this group started forming, and they reached out to me and said, well, do you want to be part of this coalition to try to address systemic racism in the running industry? And I at first said, no, I didn't cause the problem. Why do I need to be in charge of fixing it? <laughs> And after several months of conversation that you'll read about in my book, I realized that my experience as a community builder, as a leader, uh, I've got three degrees from Columbia University, I realized that if not me, then who? And that I could be really instrumental in bringing this organization to life so that there was a place that finally could address these equity issues. Yeah, can you talk about just that leadership component, not mm -hmm. only in your own experience, but also thinking of this as like almost like a a call to action for mm -hmm. other people. Can you kind of learn from your experiences yeah. and maybe take that in their own lives and, and do something similar to what you have done in terms of the leadership from, you know, having the courage to put yourself in a disruption mode mm. and then taking that and moving into making change, which yeah. are kind of, they're similar, but completely different skill sets. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, uh, and this has been the case in everything that I've done in my life, um, that I recognized that something wasn't there, and then I sort of, like, stewed in it and wished that somebody would just do something, and then I was like, well, fuck, I'm somebody. <laughs> like, I should do something, right? <laughs> and so I think that's really where I'm at when it comes to leadership. Like, I didn't... I didn't, um, well, I, I grew up, people always told me you're a leader, and I didn't really see it for myself, but I recognize that I am the person who does what needs to be done and says what needs to be said, and also really loves empowering other people to do the same thing. Um, my experience, um, in growing leaders has really just been that somebody, I see a light in them, I see something like a spark that they wanna hang around and talk a little bit more later, or they're really curious. And and then I embrace that and I say, well, what, what would you do differently? What would this look like if you were a leader, right? And it's been so, probably of all the work that I do, empowering new leaders is exciting because when it takes the load off, I'm like, whew, okay, <laughs> there's help. But also I see that I'm not in this alone, right? Like each of us has the power to do something, whether it's on a local level, national level, we all have that within us to do it. And how is that different from some of the things that you did earlier in your career, mm -hmm. which was more maybe one-on-one -on -one based, mm -hmm. more localized versus yeah. this is more societal based? Yeah. So I came into this industry after um, a period of depression. In, in 2012, I was very depressed, and um, I found running, thankfully, because I was on Facebook scrolling one day, looking at people living their best lives, and there was a black guy who was training for a marathon, and he was like five foot 11, like 200-something pounds, um, and I was like, black people don't run marathons. Like, what is this dude doing? He's never going to make it. So misery loves company. I was like, I'll just watch him fail. So I was watching his, pro his progress, and sure enough, he completed that marathon he like every runner is an evangelical right so he was there like couldn't he converted me and I decided that I would give it a try um, and I started then a year later I started this group called Harlem Run and what I found is that as I was growing as a runner my leadership skills were developing and so was the the my understanding of 
the scope I could take on, right? Initially, it was like, what can I do for my community, for my neighborhood? Then in 2017, after the uh, election, I launched this run from New York to Washington, D.C., and raised over $200,000 for Planned Parenthood. And I was like, whoa, okay, I can do even bigger things. And so it was just, you know, bit by bit, almost like how you train for any big race, that as you're doing the work, you realize that you're more capable of more things and your world sort of opens. So this was never my intention to, to have this role. I can't even really describe what my job is. My mom's like, what do people pay you for? And I'm like, I don't know, mom. Um, but I got here by continuing to push myself, see opportunities, and the support of a lot of folks. And as you mentioned before, one of the key things that you did was turning your own challenges mm. into helping others. Can you mm. just talk about that process and, and not just what you went through, but just how it can be individualized per person, mm -hmm. but how when people are ready, that that can really be the foundation for yeah. really connecting with other people and making change for others. Absolutely. This person today um, at the event earlier actually asked me about me sharing my mental health challenges. Um, so I was, as I mentioned, I was very depressed 10 years ago, um, suicidal, you know, overdosing on pills, and I'll say trigger alerts, trigger warning. Um, but I... Uh, you know, I, I don't want to say I overcame that because I still take medication. I'm still struggling with my mental health. But I was able to find tools and coping mechanisms to get to the place where I am today. This person asked, how, how is it that I shared that? You know, how, how am I that vulnerable? And what I've learned is that my vulnerability is my strength. When I share those things, it allows other people to feel connected to me. And then we start normalizing whatever the thing is and realize we're not the only people. And also, we can help other people access the resources and the information um, that we have. So I'm somebody who, um, in my bio, I describe myself as a straightforward talker, right? Like, you are going to get what I'm feeling and thinking, whether you like it or not. <laughs> and that has become a strength for me in building community and helping other people realize, like, I'm not the only one in the world. And in fact, I can join forces with other people and we can do really big things together. Yeah, absolutely. And see, one of the key things in this book, especially from a call to action perspective, is the idea of demanding, mm. basically demanding space within yeah. the running industry while simultaneously creating space mm for people to flourish. So can you just talk about that dynamic yep. and how you and the people that you're working with are trying to you know, make that come to fruition? Absolutely, I would say that right here, right now is a perfect example of that, right? So I'm here, CIM has given me uh, the platform to be in conversation with you, but also to have a booth selling my books they've been talking about and supporting my work. So that's one way that the industry is supporting me. But then on the other side of it, I'm part of Black Girls Run. I see Corremos Sacramento here, right? Where we are, not waiting for the industry to uh, create resources for us and to create spaces where we belong. We're like, you know what? We are going to center ourselves. We're going to tell our stories. We're going to create a sense of belonging. And so both of these things are happening at the same time. My, I have to shout out my friend, as I always do, Sid Baptiste, Baptista, who has um, a clothing line, Pioneers. It is the only black-owned running company in this multi-billion dollar industry, the only, P-Y-N-R-S. And so he just got tired of wearing clothing that was clearly not fit with our bodies in mind, and he was like, I'm gonna create it. So yes, we are fighting for space within the industry, but also we're creating our own spaces, and guess what? By 2045, demographics will shift, white people will no longer be in the majority, and so our dollars and our support will be even more valuable. Allison, 
Thank you much for sharing. Thank you so much for sharing everything today, and even more so in this book and the tour that you are doing. Everyone give it up for Allison Mariella Desir. Thank you, thank you. Booth 109, come see me. Thank you. All right. Hey, everybody, we're back over at the Rambling Runner Live shows on the CIM stage, and with me right now is Mike Coe, but you may know him better as Kafuzi, one of, if not the best running YouTuber out there. I saw you had, you had your the Kafuzi Run Club going on this morning in the rain, just a huge amount of people. You are you have quite the quite the following over here, Mike. Yeah, what's going on, everybody? It was it was impressive uh, at first. I told everyone to meet by the Capitol steps, and of course, and then I went somewhere else, <laughs> nearby, but somewhere else, and I, and I saw like six people, and I'm like, I guess this is it. It's cold. It's rainy. I understand, but then. Um, then everyone came over and there was about 75 of us. So it was like a huge group. I'm super um, humbled and thrilled that so many people wanted to have some rainy miles together. It was awesome. I love it. I love how you start off with the, what's going on. Because everyone, everyone who's watched the videos knows that that's how it starts and how it ends. That is great. Now you've been on a little marathon journey here past couple months. Can you detail for the people the marathons you've run so far? Yeah, this is uh, my third marathon in eight weeks. So it's been um, an unusual marathon build to get to CIM, but, and it's my fifth marathon for the year, so I, I've been doing a little running. Is this the most you've done in a year or in a condensed period of time? Yeah, by, by a lot, by a lot. Um, usually I'll do a lot of running, but not this much racing, so I've had to kind of adjust how I race the races in terms of like what are expectations. So have you done basically marathons as long runs before? Because I feel like that, that's how you've approached some of these. Yeah, so the, that's how the, like, the last two are, and I normally wouldn't think to do that, and I had the chance to do that this year. It's, it's kind of fun, guys. I, I recommend it. So how has that affected you, just from a training perspective? Obviously, that means that you're potentially putting in more miles than you usually do and potentially putting more uh, time on feet than you normally would have done in the past. How do you feel like you are strength-wise heading into CIM compared to previous years? I think I've got a lot of a more aerobic endurance going into it because I've been doing these longer runs and trying to make sure I'm not um, going to the well too much. And I've been focusing a lot more on recovery and how I'm taking care of myself in between runs on like a day-to-day -day and a week-to-week -week basis. So healthy, yes. Strong, I'm not sure. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll let you know hopefully around 10 o'clock tomorrow. So from a speed perspective, did you, have you incorporated less of that in the training because of the volume you've been doing and, and bringing in some of the recovery? I've been more selective about when I do it. And so um, for some of the earlier marathons in this last kind of eight-week stretch, there wasn't very much at all. And when I did have it, I was trying to be kind to myself, knowing that there's a lot more coming. And then once I was ready for like the last one, which was gonna be the big push, that was gonna be the big effort, then it was like, all right, time to turn it on um, and take a little bit more risks. Now, when it comes to, um, oh shoot, now I forgot my question. This is why, even for pros, <laughs> you forget your questions sometimes. And believe me, happens on the show all the time, but I can edit those out. Whereas <laughs> this time, I just have to filibuster while I'm trying to remember my question. Um, <laughs> from a recovery standpoint, there it is, you mentioned that you've really tried to incorporate that, especially in the last eight weeks. How has that changed compared to previous years, or what have you been really trying to spend time doing in that regard? Yeah, the most important thing I've been doing is what I call like the most expensive recovery, which is sleeping more. Because it's like, you know, you could buy all this stuff. That's easy enough. I'm lucky enough to be able to do that, but I can't always build more time into my day. And so trying to prioritize sleep has been like a luxury I've been trying to give myself. 
not always great at it, but that's kind of been the main thing. And also just my like pre-run mobility, making sure I don't slack off on that. So in, in other periods of your life, were you sleeping less just because you were working so much? You just like, I know you're also a parent sometimes. At nighttime, once the kids go to bed, it's just like, all right, I can finally do what I want to do. So you don't necessarily want to go to sleep right away and you have a little time to yourself. What has been the reasons why you maybe didn't embrace sleep earlier on in your career as much as you do right now? A lot of it, I think, was work, but I think part of it was that I just didn't appreciate it as much, and I thought I could just keep running my way out of poor sleep habits or buying recovery tools my way out of bad sleep habits, and I realized there just really isn't any substitute for it. And so I've been trying to get a lot better about doing those things. Now, people who have followed you for a while know that you were on a journey to break three hours in the marathon. Actually, last year this time, we were on the same stage talking about that exact same thing. Now, you have done that, so kudos to you, congratulations. Thank you. You had that big goal that you were working on for so long and you were very public about it. What's it been like after that moment in terms of maybe setting a new goal or just kind of disconnecting from goals in general? Or what, what's that process been like? Because I know oftentimes for some people, you know, getting a goal is kind of like when the, the dog catches the car, they don't know what to do next. Yeah, I mean, it's been kind of double-sided. So on the one hand, having that goal gives really clear definition in terms of what do I need to do to get from here to there. And a conversation I've had a lot in the last five months since I was able to, to get there is, you know, there's no more big round numbers to chase. There's no more other things that are just out of reach for me to go after. And so how do I goal set? Where do I go from here uh, when, like, you know, I'm at 258. A 256, a 255 sounds great, but it doesn't, like, get me anything else. And so sometimes I have a hard time figuring out, like, well, what are the goals? And so a lot of that kind of time obsession is going away, and I'm really just, I feel liberated in a lot of ways, too, because I can either just enjoy the running for the running. Not that I wasn't before, but it just takes on a different flavor, and I can shoot for like let's push and see how much more fit I can become how more in tune with myself I can become and whatever the times are will be great yeah that's a great point now was sub three a motivating factor for you either short term or long term just to get out the door or what are some of the some what are some of the reasons I should say that kind of push you out the door uh, maybe when days aren't perfect or you're not you know really feeling it or what have you I mean, the, the sub three wasn't really like a day-to-day -day motivator. It kind of like directed like the week-to-week -week scheduling in terms of what are the week workouts that I'm gonna do, when do I start incorporating longer runs with pace changes, things like that. But the day-to-day, -day, I just like running. And so like that part is pretty easy. And I don't have a, I'm lucky that I don't have a lot of days where I'm like, ah, I should run today, I guess I'll go do it. Um, because I think I've kind of gotten like past that hump where I just kind of need it every day or really enjoy having it every day. So, you know, people talk about incorporating more rest days and I'll do that like very, very reluctantly or I'll like recover on the bike for, for a day, you know, but I just like kind of moving and it just, it's a nice way to kind of reset myself a lot of ways. So that's how I, I guess that's how I look forward to it is that reset moment. And I know that you it's really enjoy putting out running content on you know out on YouTube primarily and also on other social media realms. Uh, you've over 100,000 YouTube subscribers, so you're someone who a lot of people know and they really enjoy your work. Are there are, are there ever moments where the potential burden of putting out content 
can overwhelm some of what you just enjoy doing, or is it something that kind of works seamlessly with your day-to-day -day love of running? I mean, I, I always like to run with the camera, so I take one on every single run. Got it right there? Look at yeah, that there's one over here. I got the little one here. Um, so, like, that part doesn't ever become, like, a burden, but there was a, a real time where, you know, the kind of pressure to, you know, appease the algorithm got really intense, and I found myself, like, spending more time thinking about what am I going to film on the run than what was the point of the run. And so I've definitely kind of shifted my production outset. And so my schedule are changing. So that way I'm making more of the stuff that I really like making. And if that means like I go a couple of extra days in between posts, I'm okay with that. And one thing that you do that is pretty rare in the running community is that you have a daily live show that you connect with runners you know, basically five days a week on, on average. So what's that been like for you to not only be putting stuff out in the world and kind of hoping people like it while trying not to get stuck in the comments, uh, but also engaging with people who are really kind of diehard for what the, st the stuff that you've been putting out? Yeah, I mean, the, the, di the live streams are a really fun time. It's a much smaller audience, so it's a lot more kind of um, intimate. Um, and there's a lot of regular people. Some of them are here today, and some of them I've met in person traveling to different cities. Um, and so it's a way of connecting with like a much smaller, tighter subset of the audience. And so a lot of my different content, to the extent that like I think of the audience as part of the strategy, is like there are different things that connect with different people in different ways. And that too, again, kind of going to like not worrying about appeasing the algorithm, but making stuff I like is I can make different things that I like and not and know that not everyone's going to like all of it, but there will be some parts that people will enjoy and gravitate towards and that's ways that I can connect with different people. Yeah, and it's an inspiring thing. I know there's probably people out here listening to us right now live or some people who are gonna listen to the recording of this conversation later who would love to do just that, right? Take mm -hmm. something that they love and turn it into more than just a hobby, but take it you know, past that point. Uh, what is this, I know you get this question all the time, but I'll ask it anyway. What are just some things that you would tell uh, someone who's you know, either new to this or considering jumping into this that you think could help them along that path? Yeah, I think that if you're thinking about making your hobbies a little bit more than just hobbies, start doing it. You don't have to make a full-time jump and have a full business plan. I've, I've had businesses. I didn't like making business plans for those. I don't have a business plan for what I'm doing now, but I like Same. what I'm doing. <laughs> I like what I'm doing, and I'm a firm believer in if you like what you're doing, you'll do good work, and good work leads to more good work. And so, like, I just kind of keep chasing that, and that has kind of led into this kind of, like, series of spinning plates that kind of keep moving, and somehow there's a living in here. Um, but I also have a lot of support from my wife and my family. So, like, there's, there's other things that kind of make it doable, and everyone can kind of find their way of balancing, like, well, how much can you dedicate to this one space versus another? And it's going to be different for everyone, just kind of like everyone's running is different. But you know, I found the way that really makes sense for me and that I can enjoy um, as much as I want to do it. And I can also say no to a lot of stuff that I don't like doing. Yeah, I mean, when you started this, you were a lawyer. So you, were, you, mm -hmm. had, a, you had a good career that you had going for yourself. And this obviously has worked out well as well. Now, last time we talked, you were self-coached. Is that still the case? Yes. All right, so as part of that, who, someone who has big goals, wants to achieve big things, how, I guess, what are some of the resources that you use to, you know, basically put yourself in a position to be a good coach for yourself? And how do you, how is that, 
I want to say, I want to say like relationship gone, but it's just you the whole time. Yeah. Um, how has that gone in terms of like your maturation of, of self-coaching, where in terms of maybe it didn't work well in the past, maybe what have you learned from as you've progressed? Yeah, I mean, I'm not completely like inventing stuff on my own. So a lot of it is I do a lot of reading um, on kind of running theory. I read a lot of the running manuals and books. Um, and I will admit that some of my past like unwillingness to be coached is very much like an ego thing. Kind of just like I want to be able to say I did it my, myself. So there was definitely a lot of that there. And in the future, I have a couple of different kind of running adventures coming up where I do think I might need some coaching where it's a little bit outside of what I understand. But a lot of it was just, I enjoyed the running. I enjoyed learning about running. So just trying to like read, figure stuff out and just apply it directly real quick was something that I kind of liked. It was in my nature. And what are potential drawbacks for you? I know when I've gone through like basically coaching myself, I have enough knowledge to do it. But for me, like I need the accountability of knowing that someone was gonna like be aware of that I was not running. Right, like I was, some, I was the kind of person who like, I could never take one of those free online classes. Because if I didn't have a teacher looking at me in the face, then I probably wouldn't do the homework, right? Mm -hmm. So for you, what are some of the things that you've kind of progressed with in terms of, you know, maybe things that uh, were challenges earlier on that now you feel like you're, you've gotten better at? I think the thing that I would really felt susceptible to a lot earlier on was um, getting caught up in everything new. And I think that a lot of running, it's not that complicated or it's very easy to overcomplicate. And so I was doing all these really complicated workouts with all these pace changes and different distances for reps and all that stuff and stuff where I had to write things down like on a piece of paper before I went out for my run. And I, or just trying new techniques, whatever new fad there is. And so I cut a lot of that stuff out and just kind of went to like, I have like a handful of workouts that I like to do over and over and the difference comes in wherever the wherever you are in the training block, it gets harder or longer or whatever. But I try not to really depart from kind of my core things, um, understanding that it just needs more time rather than more things. Now you're known, maybe most of all, for shoes. <laughs> so we have to do some yeah. shoe talk. Sure. I love shoes, okay. not as much as you. No one loves shoes as much as you do, <laughs> that's for sure. You just came from the running event, right. and awesome people who don't know what that is, basically it's all the shoe manufacturers saying what's coming next in the upcoming year. What was that like just seeing, I know you've been there before, but just seeing what's gonna be on the horizon in the next six to 18 months? Yeah, it's, uh, I think of this time in like the running retail space as kind of like preseason just ended. And so everyone announced like all their new shoes. No one's really had a chance to run in them yet. So everything looks fantastic and everyone has a chance of winning the championship this year. So it's a really optimistic time. And for someone that reviews shoes and loves shoes, it's like a really great time because just nothing but goodness is coming. There'll be a couple that end up being duds, but it's a really exciting time that I can just be very excited that everyone's gonna be so happy with all the shoes they get to run in next year. It seems like everything is getting bigger and bigger. Like the stacks of some of these shoes are are amazing. And we'll just dive into what you're going to be wearing uh, at CIM this year. Obviously, you have a choice of so many shoes, probably more shoes than we even um, uh, are aware of. So what did you ultimately decide to wear on Sunday? Yeah, I'll be racing in the Super Blast tomorrow. It's a not quite legal shoe, but you know, I'm not going to be trying to win on the podium and I'm not going to be setting any records. So no one really cares what I run in. So we, let's um, tell so, people yeah. why, why you say it's not quite legal. It's too tall. So it's a really <laughs> tall stack height shoe. It's very comfortable, but it also can move pretty quickly. So it's got a lot of great cushion in it. So um, I've been doing a lot of workouts in it in the lead up. 
uh, looking for something that's still a workout shoe but can handle a little bit of extra fatigue um, from all the marathons that I've been running. And will this be, when was the last time you ran a marathon that you were not in a carbon plated shoe? Probably like 2019, 2018, so it's been a long time. Wow, so what were some of the other options that you were choosing between and what was kind of the line of demarcation where you went over with one over the other? Yeah, I mean, some of the greatest options this year are like the Metaspeed Sky Plus, Endorphin Pro 3, Adios Pro 3, um, the New Balance SC Elite, also version 3. Um, but I've kind of hit them since I ran so many marathons already. I've run a marathon each of those shoes, so as someone that likes to test out all the different shoes in race conditions, I had a chance to kind of do one in each. All right. Now, understanding that oftentimes the technology will continue to improve and improve and improve, what is, if you could go back in time, your all-time favorite running shoe? We had someone actually submit this question okay. uh, mm -hmm. online when, yeah. we, when, they, when we posted uh, the lineup, so they wanted us to ask that question. Yeah, I mean, a sentimental favorite of mine, I, I have two. One is, I don't remember the, even the model, which is unusual for me, but my first marathon ever was in 2010, uh, and that was in a, a Mizuno, it was probably a Wave Rider. And so that has, I, my picks are gonna be sentimental picks. So that's gonna be one of them. And then the other one would be the Nike Pegasus Shield 34. It's an old obscure shoe, but it was a winterized shoe. And it was the first time I realized like, you don't have to like stop running in the fall, get out of shape all winter, and then try to pick up again in the spring. Like you could just keep going. And so that like, you know, that, that, that like unlocked a new level for me. Cause that's what I would normally do. I would start running in like May finish in like September and then I would wonder why it, it's so hard to run in May again um, but now I'm just running all the hibernation the method yeah yeah it was it was nice but you know uh, running in, that, uh, in the winter is also nice and now like running in the winter is my favorite all right I don't mean to put you on the spot but is there a shoe that was discontinued you normally when mm -hmm. shoes are discontinued mm -hmm. it's for good reason right running shoe companies are in the business of selling shoes so if a shoe's doing well they probably won't discontinue it yeah. but is there a discontinued shoe that they wish either they would return or return with some improvements? Yeah, I think that the Beacon 3 is one from New Balance that I, it was a quirky little shoe, it had almost no rubber outsole, um, but it was fun, it was lightweight, you could kind of do anything you wanted to in it, and that was a fun one that I wish they would bring back. And I think probably the other one, if I could get two, would be the Peg Turbo. That's a shoe that I don't know why they would ever went fast version two. Everyone always wants another Turbo, and they never give us the Turbo, so I don't know why they don't, but. I wish they'd bring that one back. There you go. Well, you can learn more about Mike on the Kafuzi YouTube channel. Also, Mike is um, half of the group from Relay who is here uh, this week as well. Relay is a subscriber uh, media group that we put together with Mike, myself, Peter Bromka, and Stephanie Flippen, who is also here this weekend. You can check that out at patreon.com forward slash Relay. Mike, good luck this weekend, and thank you so much. All right. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, everybody. And we will get started in a minute or two with Jess Mena. All right, we are back with the Rambling Runner live show, the 340 interview with Jess Mena, DPT, Dr. Physical Therapy. You may know Jess from the show. She is a monthly contributor on the Rambling Runner podcast and a, you know, someone who has experience here at CIM. So we're going to talk about her experiences, how that leads into how she's going to get ready for this year's race, and we'll, of course, talk about recovery, specifically post-marathon recovery. That's right. Under the guise of someone who does this for a living. So Jess, how many times have you run CIM? 
Hello. Um, this is my second time running CIM, so uh, it's a little bit different from last year. Um, I'm excited. It's going to be a, a new adventure. <laughs> All right. So when you think back to last year's experience, what were some of the things that you took from that in terms of things that you could build on for this year, I guess, first, then after, things that maybe were challenges or things that you learned from your first experience that you want to incorporate this time around? I definitely think I deceived myself the first uh, round. Everyone said it was a you know a negative downhill race, which it is on paper, but it's rolling hills the whole way through. So coming into this the second time around, I knew I had to do a lot of hill training um, because at mile, I think at mile 18, I walked a whole mile. So I did not want that to happen this year. So I definitely <laughs> did a lot of hill rolling hill training for my long runs. Um, so hopefully that'll help me out this year. Not only that, you ran an ultra. I did uh, ultras. Okay, I'm a big fan. Hopefully everyone out here will one day experience sign up for an ultra. Uh, it's probably one of the best trainings for, for a marathon period, especially for a hilly, hilly marathon. So. Now, why is that? What, what during your experience as an ultra runner do you feel like helps you for today? I think um, ultra marathon running is a, it's so challenging. Um, there's obviously elevation. Um, I feel like my legs just got stronger being able to run up hills and downhills. My quads just, it, it just feels different. It's funny because when I was training for my first 50K, I came back to road training and it felt so much easier. So there's definitely something to say about hills helping you you know, build that strength and endurance. Yeah. And, and how about just from a running um, off the road? situation, right? So for so many people who run ultra marathons, that oftentimes is synonymous with trail running. So I know you oftentimes are running on dirt roads and things like that. So how has that helped you in terms of either the race itself or during the course of your training? I think it's definitely helped me. So right now I'm actually training for an ultra that I'm going to run in four weeks. <laughs> so I'm mixing both. So this is ultra. a training run for you? <laughs> Yeah, so, and I feel like that's going to help me for CIM because the biggest thing that I dealt with last year was I was not ready for the rolling hills. I really wasn't. So I know mile 7, I think about 7 to 17 or something like that, it's pretty hilly, uh, a rolling hill. So um, I feel a little bit more confident with running the hills this time around. Like, I remember the first mile, I'm like, oh, this is great. It's downhill. This is, this is awesome. And then you hit your first hill and you're like, it's going to be over. And then you so go down. Someone behind me said last year said that. <laughs> yeah. At mile two, they're like, this is the only hill on the course. Yeah. I'm like, oh, and then you're like, no, know. it's not. So, uh, but it, if you haven't experienced it before, it's a great, uh, it's a great course. And I think whether you do, a, you hit your, your PR or your goals or not, I think there's something that's going to come out of this race. It's going to teach you a lot. So the race is awesome. Yeah. So you ran an ultra earlier this fall. You have an ultra in a month. So why CIM again? Um, I think I really feel that it was going to go well with my training anyways because I do think it's a downhill. I mean, it's a downhill course, but rolling hill, downhill course. So, um, And CIM, I think, is just challenging itself. I remember running Boston, and they were saying, oh, Boston's way harder than CIM. And I was like, uh, I don't think so. So, so I think it just correlated with, okay, ultramarathon running and training is a little bit hard. Training for CIM is going to be a little tough. So. Both of them uh, training back-to-back, uh, hand-in-hand, -hand was going to help me for, for it, I mean, trail running has helped me for CIM. Running for CIM is going to help me for my ultra, so. So do you have goals for tomorrow? I do have goals. I'm so funny. I was talking to some people. I'm like, I'm not going to say it, So I, but I'm going to say on, it. Come on. <laughs> I'm going to say it. So I'm going to try to PR. My course record last year was 322. I'm going for a 315. 
I have coached also like Mike. I coached myself this year, um, which was a it was an actually the probably the best experience for me. Um, so I feel like I'm really going into this this race pretty strong. But we'll see. This rain and cold is it's gonna be fine. But it's a little, I'm from the Valley in Southern California where it's 90 degrees most of the time. So. <laughs> This 40 degree weather is like, oh, I can't deal with it. And I got a few uh, messages on Instagram saying, it's 40 degrees is perfect. What are you talking about? And I'm like, no, 70 degrees is perfect, but we're going to make it work. So it's going to be fine. Yeah. Uh, the, the New Englander in me agrees <laughs> with, your, with your Instagram friends. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that in itself is a challenge I'm, gonna go on, I'm going to overcome. And I just watched this uh, documentary called Limitless or something like that on National Geographic. And they had this whole episode on, on you know, cold and, and cold training. And I'm like, all right, this is, this is what I needed. Were they talking needed. about California? No, they're <laughs> not Antarctica cold, but I feel like this is Antarctica cold. So, yeah. No, I love that. That's great. So um, you said self-coaching this year was a great thing, a great experience for you. Would you yes. mind talking more about that? Yeah, so I've had coaches on and off my whole life. I mean, I've been running for 22 years now, and this is the first year I decided to coach myself. Uh, I think that the last few years, it was just too much pressure of, you have a PR, this is you know my marathon gold time, and then having a coach, I'm gonna say breathing down my neck, but I don't. I don't think that's what their intention was. But I felt like it was giving me this extra pressure. I have like a, a people pleaser complex, and so I just wanted to make my coach happy. Um, and I think that I, a lot of the times, I you know when Mike was talking about like trying to fight. Oh, I don't want to go on a run. That's how I felt all the time. And coaching myself, I had the plan. I read all these books, and I was trained to be a coach myself. And going, and I wrote my 16-week plan from the beginning to end. And I told myself, all I have to do is follow it. And it was it was such a joy. I loved, you know, my poor husband, like, are you gonna go running again? I'm like, yeah, I have to go running. I have to go running. We can't and do anything until I go running. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I, for me, it was a great experience. I definitely found myself falling in love with running again, you know. I remember one of my old coaches would be like, you cannot run a 50K. I'm sorry, you have, this is, this is your marathon. We're gonna train for the marathon. If you want a PR, you have to do this. And I think I, I feel stronger now than I did, you know, I have the last two or three years. And that there's something to say about that. If you really love what you're doing and I'm putting in all the miles, I'm doing the training, you know, it's, you know, I'm reaping the benefits. Yeah, so. but not only that, you're also becoming a leader in the running community in your area. So you talk about the running group that you started that has really taken off and why that has been such a big thing for you. Yeah, so uh, I live, again, in the LA area, but I live in the Valley, so it's a really small area of, well, not really small, but it caters about three million residents, and there's maybe two or three local running clubs. And, um, there, I thought, you know, I don't want to commute to L.A. anymore, an hour away, and what can I do to, you know, bring some support to my local community, um, especially, it started off with a women's group, so I launched it, I had no idea what would happen or become of it, I remember two people showed up the first day, and then by the summer we had 30 runners showing up, and everyone said the same thing, you know, they were so grateful that there was uh, a running community within the valley, the San Fernando Valley, which there, again, there isn't too many, um, there aren't too many running groups there now. Um, so I think now it's like, well, if I, if I can do something, whether it's small and, and help support runners in the community without having this extra stress of like, I have to commute somewhere to have, you know, to run safely or run with people um, and have that community, 
you know, this is the perfect time and opportunity to do that. So um, I'm excited to see what comes out of that in the next few years. And but, yeah. So if you guys visit LA and end up in the Valley, come to my running group. Yeah. Well, what's it called? Tempo Training Run Club. There you go. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about recovery from Marathon Day, right? So this is your, this is, we're talking this about your jam. running. This, this is my jam. This is my jam. This is my jam. exactly this is my jam. right. So let's talk about the first 20, the first 24 hours, but within, you know, post-race until that person goes to bed, right? Yeah. So let's do that first six to 12 hours after the race ends. What should people be thinking of? Uh, so one of the things I do encourage off the bat is try not to sit for too long the first few hours after your marathon. It's going to hurt. Your whole body's going to hurt, but you'll probably find it pretty beneficial to go for a light walk for 10 minutes and kind of keep your, your muscles moving, kind of flush things out. Um, hydration and eating well with an hour after your race is super important to try to, you know, replenish all the nutrients that you've lost, electrolytes that you've lost. Super important as well. Um, you could go to the traditional route with compression, elevation, um, that sort of stuff to help uh, promote the healing process so you don't feel like you can't walk for a week after your run. Um, and then sleep is going to be super important, so make sure you guys sleep your eight hours after your, your race. Yeah, because a lot of people will kind of fall into two camps. Not to be completely polarized here, but you have the group that basically is, is so sore, yeah. they don't know what to do. Yes. Right? Yeah. And you have the other group, they're like, yeah, no, I'm going to go for a run. I'm feeling, oh, let, let's make it happen. There's, I mean, know there's run streakers out there, meaning people who run every single day in a row, not the yeah. other kinds. Um, and the, the, they want to keep that going. But let's talk about both of those groups. I guess the first one is the people who are, you know, really sore. They really yeah. banged up. Maybe they came into Marathon Day not quite as trained as either they had hoped to be or that they should have been. And now their body is kind of like, you know, they've kind of cashed the check yeah. in, that, in that sense. Yeah. I was that person. I probably still experience that. So, again, I think those are the people that probably would benefit from walking a little bit. Um, I didn't believe it until I ran uh, Boston. I was injured and I couldn't walk right after the marathon. And I'm like, oh, my God, I need to go for a walk. And that helped me out quite a bit. But for those people who feel like your hips, you know, dislocated, <laughs> this is what I say. Okay, you sit down for a little bit, but stretch move if you have someone help you stretch great um the compression boots are good i mean they're gonna have them after the race you're gonna see a lot of boots out there people out there elevating um, but i definitely think it's these are the people that probably need to go for a little walk make sure you eat protein that's a big thing people talk about um, making sure that you ingest your protein after your race within the first hour of your race so doing all the little tedious things for the people that don't feel the greatest is probably this is what you have to do people who run every day and feel like they can go for a run after the marathon they're good they don't need all that extra stuff people who are hurting probably need most of the help yeah let's talk about that extra stuff now you you that is your job so when should people who are feeling sore, not feeling quite right after the marathon, what's the progression from that to maybe potentially contacting someone like yourself in terms of, all right, this pain or this issue seems to be lingering or maybe is it not lingering and trying to uh, figure out the fine line of, you know, not trying to like just be a, a hypochondriac when it yeah. comes to this sort of thing and uh, versus being proactive at the same time. Right, I think pretty typical after, especially if it's your first marathon, second marathon, and you're pretty hurting, um, after the seven days, so one week at least, one, at least, if you're still having 
pains, but it's kind of trickling into the sharp pain. It's limiting your function, your ability to sit, stand, walk. That's when you probably should go see a physiotherapist or physical therapist and get assessed. Um, but I definitely think you do need to give yourself time. I mean, it, it's uh, running a marathon is not easy. It's pretty traumatic to your body. Um, and people who say running a marathon, no, it's not, it's not easy. It, it's really hard on the body. So I think it's pretty normal to expect aches and pains. Um, but you do have to give yourself a time frame of a week. Um, and if you're still feeling pretty uncomfortable, you can't go downstairs after a week. Like again, can't say, you know, you need, probably need to go see somebody, but. Yeah, there's another, there's another group of people um, that oftentimes can kind of have the opposite effect. It was coming back too quickly, right? It's the yeah. group of us that, yeah. you know, are really well-trained, have a goal, marathon day, didn't go the way we wanted. Right. So we're like, all right, when can I sign up for another marathon to take it, where you always hear this all the yeah. time, I want to take advantage of my fitness though. Yeah. I, want, I want to make this happen, yeah. right? And that's a great spot to be and they're feeling good and they want to like just jump right in and say, I have this goal, I think I can get it. All right, CIM didn't work, I'm gonna sign up for, for Houston in January and yeah. I'm gonna make it happen. For those folks, and there's so many of us, and if you're falling into that group, um, that's actually a great spot to be because it means you're feeling good and you're right. feel, you want to get back into it. Right. How would you want those people to manage those that the initial week or two so they're not taking on too much? I definitely think you need to almost cut your mileage at 50% and then kind of progressively get back into it. Um, feeling good is good, but you still have to remember if you've ran a marathon, your biomarkers are going to be off. So at a cellular level, physiological level, you're not 100%. So even though you might physically feel good, your body inside is not necessarily recovered. So again, after the seven to 10 days, if you're gonna start running, it's like, okay, you're not gonna do any speed workouts. You're not gonna go for another 20 miler. You kind of have to start back um, maybe a few weeks back into your, uh, like the mid, uh, like let's say if you're doing a 16 weeker, you're kind of starting back at week eight and then progress yourself that way. Some people might progress a lot faster. Some people might, might not, but the worst thing you could probably do is feel way too confident you go out there and then you get injured and then what happens so I always say take the conservative route the first two or three weeks that you go back into running and then from there you kind of reassess and see where you're at all right Jess thank you yeah. so much for joining us today and Bye. good luck on Sunday good luck to everybody thanks Hello, everybody. We are on hour two of the Rambling Runner Live show here at the California International Marathon. I hope you enjoyed our interviews so far with Allison, Mike, and Jess. Now, next three, we got Ashley Paulson, we got Peter Bromka, and we got Stephanie Flippin over here on the main stage. So Ashley, just like Allison, I can't give your full running background because we only have like 15 or 20 minutes. However, right. you're someone who has done a ton of running, a lot of challenges, and embrace a lot of different marathons over the course of your running life. And a lot Definitely. of people know you from Nordic Track and the iFit, and we'll talk about that at the end because, you know, the cold weather's coming. And, oh, and, it is. And I know a lot of people are going to be thinking about heading on the treadmill instead of running in the cold, <laughs> the, the 42 degree cold weather of California that some people have to experience over here in the first row. Yeah. Um, so before we get into that, when you're when you go back and think about all the races that you've done, all the miles that you put in, what are some of the key factors to maintain that kind of longevity and healthy miles that you've been able to accumulate? I I've definitely have been blessed with staying pretty injury free over the course of a long time. And I really feel a lot of that plays into 
the cross training that I do. I do not just run. I swim a lot. I'm a triathlete. I also race professionally as a triathlete. And I feel like that's given me such a strong base, a foundation for my body that if I am feeling those tweaks, those little like irritating knees or feet, I'm able to still get that fix per se by going out and riding hard or swimming hard and not feeling like I need to hit X amount of miles per week. I've never been one to be like, I have to hit 100 miles this week. I have to hit 130 miles like a lot of elite runners. And that's great if that works for them, but I know that's gonna cause me injury and I wanna avoid that because heaven forbid I be sidelines. Don't sideline me. You have enough energy as it is <laughs> with all of the exercise you're doing. So when it comes to the, the triathlon training that you, that you mentioned, how do you manage making sure that you're not just going out and hammering? Obviously, if you're, have all, if you're working on all three sports, it does allow you the kind of uh, athletic versatility to really hammer in those situations. Whereas like you're, if you're only running, you can't just do a workout every day. Your legs just aren't, are not gonna allow that to happen. Yeah. But in the pool and on the bike, it does offer many more opportunities to do just that. So how do you manage the um, potential for that kind of uh, issue with the idea of getting as fit as you can be? Well, it, what I love to do is really focus on like one week is a huge bike week and then some hard running but shorter miles. And then the next week I'll kind of flip that. The next week is a, a bigger running bulk and then longer running. So that way I'm not getting burnt out from running. I'm still staying excited because I know the next week, if it is a low mile week, the next week I get to look forward to a longer, harder week. And that really helps the burnout, helps with those muscles, the fatigue, and I'm able to heal and repair and listen to my body. And how has triathlon training helped you as a runner in terms of either aerobic development, volume, time on feet, anything like that? Definitely feel like, um, I mean, I have not been injured, knock on wood, right, since I started triathlon. And I feel like my running has only improved um, when I'm going out there and um, single, just running, it actually, I feel better if I have cycled before now. I'm to the point that I'm like, I want my warm up on a bike so I can go hammer the, the run. So can we have that at CIM tomorrow? Uh, my bike at the top? You don't have to take a bus. You, you, <laughs> I could bike? Yeah, right. I yeah. see bikes all but, over the place around Yeah, here. just your aerobic capacity with keeping um, that swim in the bike. It's developing so much more with so much less impact, if impact at all unless you wreck on your bike, which I am definitely have done a few times. But I'm able to build my aerobic capacity on my bike by hitting thresholds in the pool, by hitting thresholds, and no impact that way. And so I'm able to go and hit so many more miles and so many more races because that's what I'm addicted to. Now, a lot of people would, I guess, would worry that the less time they spend running would mean that the less... Yes, less successful they will be as a runner, right? So the, that's Definitely. the obvious kind of correlation oftentimes that people will make. Yeah, and they're like, triathletes, like, they don't go out for an Olympic trials qualifier. No, you guys stick with swim, bike, run only. And I was like, no, why can't I do both? Why can't I try? You don't know what you're capable of until you try. And it, and it ended up working out and being able to compete still in the running world as a triathlete. Yeah, absolutely. And you, one of the things that you've done as well is iFit, right? So if someone has a Nordic track uh, treadmill, they might have seen Ashley as part of that. So yeah. Part of that. So again, with the weather starting to turn, there's going to be plenty of people in extreme weather, whether it's in the hot of the summer or the cold of the winter, that will look to more indoor type activities, whether that's, again, on the bike, the swim, or on a treadmill. 
for so many people, and by that I mean me, <laughs> treadmills are not the most fun thing in the world. And it's, in, actually, in, in preparation for today, I actually ran on a treadmill this morning. Like, maybe I'm over it. Maybe I'm maybe, over it. Maybe, maybe. I wasn't. Uh, Skip to the end of the page. So, so how, how do people get used to the treadmill in a way that, like, for me, I feel like at best, I tolerate it. Okay, right? okay. How can people start living their best running life on a treadmill as opposed to at best tolerating the it's experience? It's tolerating, and I get it. I'm guilty of tolerating. Don't tell my boss, because, you know, heaven forbid, they know that I was anti-treadmill for a long time. Okay, that's our secret. But it, I got to the point when I, I lived in California and it was horrible, like, like these rainstorms kept coming in over and over and I needed these long runs and I would not run outside. It, I mean, or on a treadmill, it was only outside or it didn't count. And I got to this point that I'm like, I've got to get this run in or else, you know, I'm gonna skip all of this training. And I went in and I've suck it up. I jump on this treadmill. I'm like, I'm going to make it a game. I had a 20 mile run and I made it a game. I had 20 treadmills in this room. I was like, okay, each treadmill is going to get one mile. And I got my one mile and then I moved to the next treadmill. Then I moved to the next and it flew by and it was so silly, but I made it fun in my own way being like, okay, when am I going to get to the next treadmill? And then I feel like iFit just brings in an experience for people. They're able to go out and you know, go climb Mount Fuji. They're able to see the world without leaving their home and it kind of takes their mind off what they're actually doing. And they don't have to worry about their speed. You don't have to worry about your incline. It's gonna automatically do that for you. And hopefully, we, we try to be educational on there as well. <laughs> I don't know how educational I am. Um, but we try to make it an educational and fun experience so that people aren't dreading it like you do, Matt. Like, they're excited, what's next? Where am I gonna travel to today? Um, when it's snowing outside, heck, I wanna go to the beach. Okay, bring me to the beach. So I feel like that's what's unique about iFit is it's not just exercise it's also an experience you want to do boston marathon great come join me on the boston marathon come join me in chicago you can see those streets you can see all of that before you go there or if, you know maybe you know you're you're not at the point in your life that you're going to qualify yourself and you can still have those experiences and look forward to it and that's what we try to bring to the treadmills at home and um including matrix back there they've got ifit on there it's not just nordic track you know so there's it, you want it to be fun. You want to have serious training, but you also want it to be seriously fun. And that's what I feel like has kept me going for all these years as I make it fun. Speaking of that, you've run a variety of different races in terms of race length, you know, from running <laughs> to triathlon as well, to you know, ultra running, to trail. How do you go about race selection and just in just planning out your calendar in a way that's challenging but also embraces the fun that you're talking about. Yeah, you know, I do like to keep it um, interesting. I love doing all things. And if I could just focus on one thing, is what people say, maybe I could really excel. But for me, that's not exciting. I want to do it all. You know, I want to get out there and, you know, get in the mountains. And I also want to run fast. And I, I'm not a big planner. And so it kind of surprises people when I jump into things last minute and you know do okay, but I keep my base pretty strong. What, teaching these iFit classes and just my lifestyle is very active. Um, and so I'm able to just 
I've got my main goals, and CIM is one of my main goals this year. Um, and other racers have, races have been fillers, as it fits into different training plans, or if it's something that I could do with my husband or my kids want to be involved in. I like look for ways to include my family, and then let it all just you know fall fall into place. So if someone wants to kind of start to embrace that kind of approach, instead of having like, all right, here are my races, I'm going to plan everything around that, and then I'll maybe I'll race two or three times a year. Yeah. They want to kind of take on the kind of the race calendar that you're talking about. What should training potentially look like that allows someone to be obviously very fit, but allow them to kind of at the drop of a hat, maybe take on a challenge without being completely worn out from yes. training and kind of kind of towing that line between the two? Yeah, because that can be really scary. You're like, oh, well, you know, you've got to go into events. If you want to race as much as I race, I love to do a lot. Um, and you've got to be okay with not getting a PR at every race. If I went into every race expecting a PR, I can surely expect to fail because of how often I race. And so I'll have my A races and then my B races, I'll have specific goals for them, but it's okay if I'm not PRing out there. It's okay if I'm using it as a training, if I'm going out with a friend and chatting. I don't feel the need anymore. I used to feel the need to place or to um, you know, have a personal best at everyone. Go out and have fun with it. And if you go in with that mentality, I feel like you, that you'll just have that. You'll have fun and then you'll be able to go attack your A races and still have fun with it. So be okay that it's not your best day out there if now, you want to do a lot. And you mentioned this wasn't always your mentality. So what changed? No. Like what, what changed for you? Either was there a moment or just you had a mindset shift that allowed you to adopt this? Well, it changed when I started to not have fun with it anymore. I started to feel like, okay, I have to go do this. I have to because of the pressures of people saying that I need to get, that you can't just do a marathon and not race it. You can't go out there and do an Ironman and not give it your best. Giving it my best that day doesn't mean it's at my fastest. It means it's at my best for what is in my plans for that day. And so some of them I'm holding back a little bit and I don't, and that's okay because I don't feel that pressure. And feeling that pressure made me not enjoy it. And I don't want to do this just for one day. I don't want to just do this today. I want to do this forever. I want to be that 90-year-old out there with pink hair that's still out there, like, you know, with waddling through these finish lines because I care about it, not about the specific, uh, like, number on that, that time clock that I'm passing, that when I'm crossing that finish line. And it makes it a lot more fun for me. If you win, great. If you place, great. It's a huge bonus, of course. Who doesn't like to break the tape? But I'm also okay not doing that. And a lot of people aren't okay as things change in their body. They're like, oh, I, I can't toe the line. I'll never get a P that PR again. I'll never be strong enough to hit the, the pace that I ran in high school. That's okay. Get out there. Move and do what you can do today. So when were you able to stop comparing yourself to previous versions of yourself? Obviously, you're, you're still potentially PRing at different distances. Yeah. But I feel like even for me, like I'm not when I'm at my worst, it's not because I'm, I'm comparing myself to other people. It's I'm comparing myself to me at other stages, yes. and that can really be debilitating. Definitely, like I said, like we're, I hear people, oh, I'll never be able to run the 5K I ran in high school. That's okay. What can we do now that's going to challenge you? As long as I come and approach it with my specific challenges now, I'm okay. 
you know, I know that my PRs will come to an end. Like, I know they will. Um, I hope they haven't yet. I still feel like I'm in my, my prime, even though I'm in my 40s. Um, and just to be able to, like, write down my specific goals and to have my own personal win at each race has helped me overcome, like, okay, this isn't my personal best, forever, like for my whole life, but it is a great win for X, Y, and Z reasons. I always look for a race and win in my, my own personal way without like breaking the tape. It's not just about that. I love that. So you mentioned before you have A goals, B goals, and C goals for every race. Would you mind sharing what your goal is for tomorrow? Oh, of course. I mean, gosh, it puts it out there, right? If I say it, putting it in the universe, I really would love to hit that OTQ standard. All right, so, so 237. Oh, sub 237. We need to hit that. 236.59. See, I, I visualize. I visualize. I'm a visualized person. I, I see myself running down the finish street, seeing a 235. I don't care if it clicks over as I'm growing cl closer and closer to that 236, but I'm seeing that 235 tomorrow. I love We're going to fight for that. Ashley, thank you so much. Yes. Everybody, Ashley Paulson. Thank you guys for being here. All right, we'll be back in two minutes with Peter Bromka. Perfect.